This is the Courtesy versus Carter podcast, hosted by me, Caroline Lancaster, with my daddy, Lee. Courtesy versus Carter. Chapter 2. The Strike Plan. In the summer of 77, a group of farmers were at a cafe talking. It was the Chuck Wagon Cafe. It was at a crossroad in Springfield, Colorado. The group of farmers, you know, they were the founding fathers of what would become the American agriculture movement. The area was farmland, an area, you know, where the foothills of the Rocky Mountains that turned into the wheat field of the Great Plains. In the middle of these amber waves of grain, sat the cafe. With truckers familiar with the tactics used by union drivers to picket their owners after several strikes had been conducted earlier in the decade, the farmers knew that something drastic had to be done to get, you know, the public's and the government's attention, and the truckers knew how to get it. We talked about before with Jimmy Carter being a peanut farmer from Plains and he ran with uh, peanut and green imagery being from Georgia, being a peanut farmer from Georgia. And everybody that was a farmer just was having high hopes about what he represented and what he was going to be able to do for the farmers. I can tell you the exact date when things turned south. And everybody realized that this probably wasn't going to be a very smooth ride for the next four years. And that was March the 19th of 1977. Because Bob Berglund announced that he was proposing to cut the peanut price support system by 20%. And proposing that they cut back a third of the peanut acreage out of the entire United States. And you think about that for just a second. He's supposedly a peanut farmer from Plains. He probably knows 10,000 peanut farmers in the United States. He had a warehouse he and Billy Carter had run. And then all of a sudden, his own hand-picked USDA secretary proposes a 20% cut in the support, and then a third of the planting allotments being cut. So if you can cut your peanut allotment and you cut off your peanut farmers, what do you think you're going to do to the corn farmers and the soybean farmers and the cotton farmers? Well, Peanuts have always been in the com- in the commodity support system in one way or another. So there was a law that said that peanuts had to be supported when they got below 75% of parity. So you had about $415 a ton guaranteed on that peanut. And then that was it. So you had parity 
for peanuts, but you didn't have parity for very much of anything else. The 1977 Farm Bill was becoming a reality, and it was going to get signed by Jimmy Carter if it passed both the House and the Senate. And in 1977, the House and the Senate had a two-thirds majority Democrat because of the Watergate scandal. But if the Farm Bill was signed in January 1978, the farmers were going to have to live with low commodity prices until 1982 at best. And the entire Georgia legislation was Democrat. You had 10 congressional districts and two senators. You had Billy Evans. You had uh, Dawson Mathis. They were some of the South Georgia uh, delegations were in the farm areas. And then you had Sam Nunn from Perry, and you had um, Herman Talmadge, originally from McCray, who had lived and moved up to Lovejoy when he was governor of Georgia. The Senate Majority Leader was Robert Byrd of West Virginia, and Herman Talmadge was the Ag Committee Chairman. The Speaker of the House was Tip O'Neill from Massachusetts, and the uh, Ag Committee chairman in the House was Tom Foley from Washington, and he became Speaker of the House several years later. And the f there was some farmers out in Colorado. They got together in a in a diner at uh, and the owner of the diner was Alvin Jenkins, and it was frequented by truck drivers who had come and and would get get fuel and would stop and eat and it was a long way to anywhere from where they were and it was a good place to stop and rest and i talked to the national president of the american agriculture movement the other day and he told me in a few words how the uh, american agriculture movement started there was only five farmers in the initial meeting, and they were just having coffee, griping about low farm prices and, you know, how family farmers going to make it. And there was a truck driver sitting in there, and he got up and walked over to the table, and he said, I'm sick and tired of hearing you guys do something if you've got a problem. Just quit griping about it and bothering us while we're trying to relax. So... They kind of looked at each other, and then all of a sudden they called a meeting, and I don't know, there was 100, 200 farmers showed up, and so they had a meeting in uh, Gablo, and uh, Alvin Jenkins uh, kind of helped put uh, that meeting together, and there was some Texans came up to it from the Panhandle, and so everybody went back home and started having local meetings. And so this was in September of 77. And I was uh, still farming at the time. And uh, I was listening to Bill Mack on uh, 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 
radio station out of Fort Worth, country radio station, and he was advertising that American Agriculture Movement was going to have a farm meeting in Texas Stadium, home of the Cowboys, and gave the date and said there's going to be farmers speaking and and Bill Anderson and some country going to be other entertainers. So I called a friend of mine that farmed and I said, hey, let's go to this farm meeting. And of course, you know, they had a couple of thousand people, but a couple of thousand people in Texas Stadium, I don't know how many, the whole 50,000 or something, you know, it, it just looked like a handful mm-hmm. down there. But after I heard Albert Jenkins speak and then um, got thinking about it, all the land I had was rented as the farmers retired and went out of business. It surrounded my dad's land and I just rent their farm and rent this one. So I had 14 different farms. And I figured out there's no way I'll ever be able to buy any land. And uh, so went to this meeting and so my friend George came back. We came back and we got on the phone, started calling local farmers, and the next night there was 80 farmers and, and dairy uh, producers showed up in the bank meeting room. And well, hell, we didn't know what to do, what to say, but we just started asking, you know, what's your problem? Why are you here? This, that, and other. But the media out of Dallas and Fort Worth, all four TV station crews was there. Star Telegram, Dallas Morning News. And so we said, well, we put together a tractor keg to the county seat in Cleburne. And so on a Saturday then, we had 120 tractors down. We circled the courthouse square and politicians came, gave speeches. And so anyway, that's kind of how that started. And that was in November. Uh, when I really got engaged and heard about AAM. So it was spreading kind of like a prairie fire in every direction across farm country as farmers attended a meeting and they'd go back and have a meeting, you know. So that's kind of how it, uh, uh, but then by December, when farmers drove tractors to every state capital, there were there were thousands. I mean, you know, just no way of knowing exactly how many, but you kind of have an idea how many was in Atlanta. But you know, we was I never seen I never saw so many in Austin mm-hmm. driving up to the state capitol. Governors out there greeting everybody. It's cold day and. Uh, but anyway, that's how it was across the country. So that was the beginning. They just uh, called each other on the phone, or how did they? That's exactly right. What well, we ended up, and in in my area, which was the Fort Worth Dallas area, on up to the Red River, and so we called it District Three. So I had about twenty percent of the state. Mm-hmm. 
was uh, I was in charge of organizing. And so what we arranged was I would call six people. Those six would call six. Then those six would call. I meant those, they would all call six. And so within about an hour, you could have 200 people ready to go to a meeting or a protest or or do whatever. Um, and so uh, we didn't, you know, wasn't any computers, fax machines, cell phones, or none of that back then. Mm-hmm. And so it was strictly a, a phone tree, but it, it worked. Uh, it worked for us. We had really been dangerous if we'd had cell phones and all this electronic stuff we have today. The farmers that started the agriculture movement, there was Greg Suler, there was Bud and Lynn Bittner, you had Gene Darrell and Billy Schroeder, uh, the cafe owner was Alvin Jenkins, and you had Jerry Wright, and they were considered the, the founding fathers of the agriculture movement. They all got together and found out that Robert Berglund was going to be at Denver, Colorado in a few days. So this was in September 1977. And they called their congressman and requested a meeting to talk to Berglund about the farm bill. And Berglund's office, this was before any tractor caves. This was before any protests. This was before anybody had heard anything. As far as he knew, at this point in time, everybody loves the farm bill and couldn't wait to sign it. And um, so they called and requested a meeting. Berglund's office said that they didn't have time for him. Every single second of his time was accounted for when he was in the state of Colorado. And so they they called back again and said, we really want to meet with the Secretary of Agriculture and some of his folks said, you know, since you're the Secretary of Agriculture, you probably need to talk to some farmers, you know, every now and then. And so he thought it it was a good idea. So he said, uh, okay, I'll meet with y'all a few minutes in Denver. And then they said, no, we want to meet in Springfield, which is uh, their turf um, in the wheat fields and country in the foothills and and so finally they met in the middle and decided to meet out in Pueblo which is halfway kinda and so over the next few days the little group of farmers called everybody and got everybody together and they recruited and they got folks out of Texas and Oklahoma, Kansas, Colorado, New Mexico, Nebraska. They had a few folks come out of Minnesota and just all over. And they parked the tractors on the side of the highways in the farming country and they put signs on them talking about how bad farming was and they were going broke. And if they went broke, everybody was going to go hungry. And they threatened to have a farmer's strike on December the 14th if they didn't get it straightened out. And the farmers that were several of them, about a, you know, 
less than a dozen folks turned into several thousand in just a few days because uh, each person had to call a certain number of folks and this one would call this number of folks and this one would call um, several folks and this was 15 years before the internet was invented by Al Gore so the day had come um, September the 22nd of 1977 and the day before that they had the very first tractorcade in the streets of Colorado and the, the farmers drove their tractors from all over the place from some of them drove in from Kansas and some of them drove up from Amarillo and folks brought tractors and trucks and and um, a lot of folks pulled in and they had to change the meeting because there were so many people that signed in to to come to this thing they had just a small venue that they were going to meet at a small meeting room and they changed it to an arena um, or, or a gymnasium or some sort over in Pueblo because there was several thousand folks that had shown up and so Berglund was up on the stage with uh, you know sitting at a table and there was a microphone that they set up and for several hours he listened to farmers and farmers wives uh, talking about how they were going broke and and if they didn't get something done quick they were going to be out of business and all of the farmers were going to be out of business and when everybody had said their piece and everybody had run out of gas Robert Berglund rose from his seat and he basically let all the air out of the place because he didn't change his position one bit he believed and the president believed that the farm bill was strong it was as good as it was going to get and if they changed anything about that farm bill the price of anything if it was to go up the economy was so fragile that if they rose the prices of any of those commodities the prices of food were going to go through the roof and we would go into a depression and he didn't have a magic wand but he said that he couldn't work miracles and uh, at this same period of time inflation rates were getting up there at about 20 percent and so Berglund got on his plane and headed back to Washington and the farmers got back on their tractors and headed back downhill back to the Great Plains at uh, 15 18 miles an hour that's a lot of time to think to yourself and a lot of these farmers were driving in at you know 200 miles away and um, so when they got home they all started calling everybody else and they knew that if they were going to have an effective farm strike they were going to have to have everybody participate 
And so they sent out folks all over the country. They've chartered planes, little, you know, um, passenger planes, not uh, big jets or anything like that. And they fanned out and they covered the countryside, especially farming country. And they told the story of the farm bill, how evil it was going to be. And in the situation that had happened at Pueblo and how they had been, you know, let down by what the Secretary of Agriculture had told them. And at each rally, they had new recruits. And each of those recruits went out and spoke in other small communities to folks that knew um, the difference between Cal Smith and Carl Smith. And a lot of these folks chewed tobacco. And uh, Cal Smith sung Country Bumpkin, and Carl Smith was married to June Carter. And then June Carter married Johnny Cash. So there you go. You're welcome. Something that they decided to call this deal was the American Agriculture Movement. And they started talking about the farmer's strike in every parking lot, in every slaughterhouse, in every uh, dime store, feed store, everywhere from one end of the country to the other, especially throughout the Great Plains. And they were talking about parity, and they were spray-painting parity on grain bins, and they were making handmade signs, and then... They started making buttons and handing them out and bumper stickers and stuff said like parody, not charity, and everybody prospers with parody and stuff like that. And the AAM began to pop up new strike offices all throughout the Great Plains, and the goal was to have everybody cooperate and raise the prices of these uh, commodities to break even and if they didn't get where they what they needed they were going to strike on December the 14th and they were planning on not selling any of their crops they were not planning on buying any equipment buying any fuel buying any hamburger meat or anything if they didn't get what they needed and the farmers, the problem was they weren't the only ones threatening a strike because the coal miners in West Virginia were uh, striking already. And they were paying a lot more attention to the coal miners than they were the farmers because uh, Jimmy Carter's from Georgia, where the farmers were, but Robert Byrd was the majority leader in the senate and that was where all the uh, he was from where all the coal miners were in west virginia and the truckers they had struck several times in the 70s and the farmers had tried to strike in 1970 but they weren't able to do much because there weren't enough of them and they didn't get organized they did have an organization back in those days that that helped to raise the price of of hogs and they had uh, nfo 
in the 60s and the 70s and um, they would hold on to the hogs and control the uh, the supply of, of hogs to the slaughterhouses in an attempt to raise their prices. Albert Wilds from Bacon County explained to me the role of NFO during those early days. But uh, we did we did see from holding of we, we held hogs that time at that time hogs were real big down here then you know yeah and from holding hogs we did see the price of hogs go up um but you know it do we never were able to get a floor under or anything like that mm-hmm. which is what we wanted to do. The NFO had tried to influence the price of milk earlier in the sixties and 70s by pouring out milk in public places in the street and on newspapers and that caused a lot of the dairymen to be skittish and not to join the uh, AAM when it started up in 77. From September to October of 77 there was a lot of protests and a lot of small rallies and parades and tractor caves were popping up seemed like everywhere throughout the Midwest, but some of the farmers were noticing that there wasn't a whole lot coming from the state of Georgia. So some farmers from Plains, Kansas, decided to go to Plains, Georgia and explain the situation and to tell those farmers there exactly how powerful a voice they had if they would just protest their neighbor, Jimmy Carter. So a farmer named Gene Short made the trip over to Plains and met with all of the farmers over there. Well, Sonny Stapleton was a peanut farmer from nearby in Weston, Georgia, and he had a unique perspective on the situation. All right, you knew um, Jimmy and uh, and Billy Carter personally. I knew Billy better than I did Jimmy, but I knew Jimmy. Because Jimmy got, you know, he got to be governor, and then um, he left the country, boys. Uh, I reckon he did. I, I never did see him much more. But we went to the inauguration, and I was singing that song, Gimme Jimmy, Gimme Jimmy. And uh, Jimmy didn't do much for us. Yeah, that, that was, that, and can you kind of... All right, when y'all went in 77 to the inauguration, then two years later, y'all drove back up there in... No, we didn't drive. We flew. Flew up there. <clears throat> so kind of yeah, yeah. compare the, the your thought process two years later to when you went in the inauguration, maybe... Did y'all have a lot of hope, and, and then and then what what was your thought... Yeah, we had hope, but the hope never did come around. <laughs> we had hope. Yeah, we had hope. <laughs> well, what, uh, did y'all go try to see Jimmy or, or when y'all was up there, or did y'all just kind of leave him where he was we at? We <laughs> he had, they had a, a reception mm-hmm. at uh, the White House. Yeah. The day was that the next day of the inauguration wasn't it Paul? It was the next day. And of course we went. And um they asked you not to have cameras and all that. But this friend of mine 
was long there, and he was in the line just before Paula and I. Yeah. And uh, Harold told, and and we had gone in business as a competitor to Jimmy. He was in the peanut business in Plains, and we had gone in the buying of peanuts in Weston. Yeah. And uh, and he Harold told Jimmy when he was in, he said, "But watch that fella behind you. He's your competitor." <laughs> <laughs> And he turned around and made out of a picture. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't supposed to have a camera in it. But I don't know where that picture is. They used to be hanging on the wall of us shaking hands with the President of the United States. Yeah. And that's the only President I ever shook hands with. Uh, um, oh, you got me, man. High... <laughs> that was a long time ago. Yeah. That was in 70, 77. Yeah, Daddy said, you know, we thought him being a peanut farmer, you know, he was going to help us out. And, yeah. And Daddy told me, he said, we like to win out of the business because he... <laughs> True. And then Reagan come along, and he liked, he put close to putting me out of business <laughs> because interest went up to 15 and 16%. think I can count that low. <laughs> but I paid 16% interest to farm mm-hmm. in, in those eight years of Reagan and uh, in some of those years. And, uh, and I'm telling you. And I was a good Democrat. I was a real good Democrat. And uh, uh, Reagan and Bush and when old uh, Clinton got there, I was so happy, and I voted for um, Al Gore. <laughs> 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 but I had to quit that. But it, I didn't leave the Democrat Party. It left me. Yeah. A lot of folks were still very fond of the president, as they are still today. Once you leave America's until you get on the other side of the county line, there ain't nothing like Jimmy Carter. And um, so nobody can speak ill of Jimmy Carter without somebody uh, coming back at them. And so the farmers, that were they were still doing business with the Carters. You had uh, a couple of buying points in Plains, but the Carter warehouse was still being run by Jimmy's son, Chip, and then you had Billy's Gas Station, a popular uh, tourist attraction, and Billy had, you know, Billy Beer, and no fireplace mantle in the state of Georgia is complete without a 1980 uh, Georgia Bulldogs Coca-Cola bottle or a empty can of Billy Beer right next to it. Hugh Carter, he was still around. He was the 
state senator, and he also had an antique store in town. And Hugh was one of the original bait farmers in the world. He was an original uh, cricket and bait worm farmer, and he had done that in his earlier days. And Plains was just a circus back in those days. You had a town of about 600 people, but when Jimmy Carter was president, you had people driving from all over the country and uh, riding in to see where Jimmy Carter's house was, Miss Lillian's pond house was, Billy Carter's gas station and everything like that. And you also had a local newspaper that had been started just a couple of years earlier and it was called the Plains Monitor, and the owner of the Plains Monitor had done, gotten sick of being in the newspaper business and was looking for a buyer, and normally his circulation was between uh, 12 and, and 1,200 and 2,000 a week, and so it was bought by a man named Larry Flint, yeah, that Larry Flint, the uh, publisher of Hustler Magazine. And he kept telling folks that he had a lot of off-color uh, added content that he was going to put in there, and he was going to ask um, some of the national writers to put in their, their two cents. And they were all assuming that everybody wanted to read about what was going on in the city of Plains, and he was going to distribute this newspaper right alongside the magazine that he was distributing to and so he printed a hundred thousand extra copies on top of the regular 750 or 800 that it had gotten down to uh, during the weeks prior to the sale and so out of the hundred thousand copies that he had made of the Plains Monitor that week, he sold about 700 copies. So uh, every fish market and pet shop in the United States had a little extra help from the Plains Monitor that week. And the next week, they went back to about printing about a thousand copies a week. So he had uh, didn't that didn't last long. The first official AAM meeting in the state of Georgia was somewhere on the Wilcox-Pulaski County line. There was a farm up between Pine View and, uh, and Hawkinsville, and that was where the very first uh, AAM meeting was. It was a shelter and the owner of the farm was Mr. Sam Thompson. Well, in the middle of the biggest cotton-producing region in the state of Georgia, there's two major highways that run right through the middle of it. It's uh, I-75 and US-41, and that's Dooley County, Georgia. There's Unadilla, Pinehurst, and Vianna. And they were going to become the Farm Strike universe, the center of the Farm Strike universe, just as and be just as active 
as the strike headquarters in Colorado and Amarillo was going to be. And there was a man named Tommy Kersey that was going to be the motor that gave life to this movement. He had two brothers, uh, Leighton and Wendell, and they farmed about 5,000 acres on the Houston Dooley County line with their daddy, Charlie. And Charlie had a gas station right there at the uh, crossroads of US 41 and 26 where he started earlier when he was about 14 years old he started farming and he grew the farm up to what it was in the 70s and Tommy Kersey had been the uh, Dooley County president of the JC's came up through the JC program and learned his his leadership skills through the JC's uh, speak up program and if there was a movie made about Tommy Kersey I imagine Paul Newman or uh, Steve McQueen would have been a, a good uh, a good actor to take take on the role, and then he would have had Jimmy Swaggart as his stunt double because Tommy could wind up a crowd as good as Gene Talmadge ever thought about it, and then he could turn them loose. And he had the ability to get in your shoes and speak directly and emphatically to the to what was hurting each person in that crowd and absolutely drive them up the wall well further down the state there was another community that was fighting through the farming crisis in bacon county in a town called alma and the aam grassroots was beginning to crank up and they weren't officially attached to the natural structure nearly as as much as the folks in Unadilla were but uh, a man named Tommy Carter he had a son named T-Boy and uh, they were going to get everybody riled up from the Okefenokee all the way up to the Savannah River and he was one of a very few farmers from Bacon County that went to school he went to the university of georgia in the fall and then he farmed in the spring and he was also in the banking business for a good while and he had a good friend named winston miles that recalls his friend tommy carter uh, but tommy was a very good speaker now he was not as aggressive and quite as uh, forceful as tommy kersey yeah. But Tommy Carter, uh, as a matter of fact, there's some farmers in Boonville, Mississippi that paid the lease on an airplane, a four-seater airplane, and uh, we've got a local boy here that pilots it. And we, uh, me and Tommy and the local boy named Larry Barnes, who was the pilot, and I can't remember who the other gentleman was, but he's from Moultrie, Georgia. We flew to Boonville, Mississippi, and there was snow on the ground. And uh, Tommy got up and uh, inspired them boys to to get back on them uh, on them snow clay them snow uh, clay roads around there with them tractors. They drove to town. And uh, Tommy was very uh, very forceful when it comes to uh, making a point. You know, mm -hmm. uh, he, he was very dramatic sometimes. But sometimes we need to be dramatic when we we got a cause. You know. Yeah. But uh, Tommy was quite a bit 
you know, older than me. I did business with him when he was in the banking business. And uh, then Tommy got out and went into the chicken business uh, and farming and did like a lot of the rest of us, lost a bunch of money. But Tommy uh, died early, but he was a horse. I mean, he was one of the few people in our part of the country that went off to college, you know what I'm saying, at his age. I mean, it was quite unreal to have a country boy go to college, but mm-hmm. he done a good job. Yeah. Well, he was he... Uh, where did he go to college? I think he went to, went to ABAC Navy, and I'm not don't hold me to this. And then eventually wound up at the University of Georgia. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I'm, pretty, I, I'm I think I'm telling you correct. Now I just know that he went on and got a four year degree, mm-hmm. and that was something these ag, agriculture boards just didn't do back then down here, you know. Um, but I mean he was he was well uh, well equipped with with financial situations. That's why he was in the banking business for a good long while. And uh, and like I said, he, he decided he wanted to make his mark in that coach. He did a lot, a lot of the rest of us. He, he, he lost out. Yeah. But he uh, he had he had some good friends. I mean that, uh, and I was there with him because I mean he was an inspiration to me when I was trying to borrow money and buy for him because I was young and and pretty gullible to whatever was going on out here with these people wanting to send me a piece of land. And eventually had to leave him with what I was doing and go to the FHA. Yeah. And uh, when you get in the farmer's home and you own about a little better than half a million, you just start liquidating and come back home and say what your daddy left you, you know. Life was about to get real interesting for a couple of growing seasons, thanks to a couple of Tommies and a Jimmy. Tommy Carter from Alma, Tommy Kersey from Unadilla, and Jimmy Carter from Plains. Mm-hmm.